At Utility Muffin Labs, we are dedicated to accommodating our consumer clients with uncontrived, austere, generalized, and adequate snack-based comestible muffin provisions for your cafeteria or common staff member gathering areas. We refrain from overt decorative adornment that can foment jobholder chaos and sedition. A saccharine workforce is a productive workforce. Procure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word. On Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. And finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And my name is Bob. And today we're going to be doing a review of the Camarilla Guide. Um, that was, uh, the revised edition. Um, I believe it came out in 99 and it was the first, I feel like it was the first real book of its kind. Like there wasn't any specific guides to the sects previous to this right? in uh first or second edition. And, uh, so we're going to, we're going to go into that because I, I, like, I personally feel like this is a super essential book for anybody playing vampire, the masquerade. Um, but before we get into that, we've got a bunch of questions. And a lot of them relate to kind of the same material, like, hey, I'm new. How can I get involved? What should I do? How do I start? So the first question that we have is from Dylan. And Dylan says, hey, guys, so I've listened to nearly all of your podcasts for 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade and quite a bit of nerd words. Thank you. Great stuff. And I'm more than happy to hear such knowledgeable and entertaining chit chat about World of Darkness. Wow. Uh, so, uh, as you very well know, it's difficult to get groups going for Vampire the Masquerade nowadays between the nonlinear rule set, the sheer depth of the world and the, and fucking twilight ruining the image of vampires. I found that all it takes, that it all takes hours or weeks of introduction to get new players interested. I know you guys are swamped, but if you happen to get a wild hair, I would kill for a nice long episode that introduces new players to vampire and the world of darkness itself. So I'll stop there. We kind of get some other questions here, and I'll go over those. But all of them are kind of asking the same thing. Like, how do I get players to play? How do I get new people interested? How do I, you know, where do I start? Well, I think the first and most important thing is, do you have time to run a game? Like, if you want to, we it sounds silly. Yes, of course, it's why I say I want to run a game. But consistency is the key in any role-playing game for a storyteller. If you cannot be consistent, like Fridays at 1 p.m., we're going to do a podcast, right? Seems simple. You know, we're in essence a business uh, of getting this done and doing what we want to do with uh, Utility Muffin here, but you got to treat your game the same way. Often the storyteller is the thankless job, as me and Nate refer to it, because you have to be serious about what you're doing. You're providing entertainment. That said... Players groove to consistency. Initially, you're going to get those gung-ho two or three, 
maybe even up to five who absolutely want to play. They want to test it out, but I guarantee you, you only have one chance to make a first impression. So whatever you're going to do, make sure your ducks are in a row. You have a slotted four to five hour session, whatever your time slot's going to be of where, you know, you can be there every single time rain, sleet or snow. Now, Opinions vary, but I'm a stickler for that because the more rigid and disciplined you are in providing your game, that is going to draw the right crowd because without you having to say it unconsciously, they'll get, all right, this is the respected time when we get here, game's on and when game's over, you know, whatever. But more importantly, this is where I get my solid play time. Once you cross that hump and have that set, the conversation opens up when you're talking to other players because you get to let them know, Hey, you know, we're going to shoot, we're going to, you're going to shoot. We're going we're gonna to run this day. This is the time. I'm going to be doing Vampire the Masquerade. Da, 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 and you start having a discussion. Now, how do you woo them? How do you sell them the source material? Kind of got to know your audience. I mean, right. if you're playing, I believe one of the next questions was, <laughs> just to kind of piggyback in there, mentions Pathfinder. Uh, like, and, I, and I'll get to his point because I think it was a really good mm-hmm. one. But Pathfinder is one of those games where you may not have the same mentality troop that would groove to vampire that is playing Pathfinder. At its whole, when I hear the term game describe Vampire the Masquerade, I sneer. The look on my face is that of sarcasm. Um, games are Nintendo. Games are, and that dates me, by the way, but <laughs> games, games are Xbox One, PlayStation, whatever, and you know all that stuff. You know They're there for when you need them. You pick them up, use them, and throw them to the side. You're done. If it takes work, I don't call it a game. That's a hobby. Now, in a hobby, someone has to be passionate about it. Hopefully, it's the person running the game. But you're looking for like-minded people to be passionate into it. That's the crux of storytelling. Now, when it gets to Pathfinder, they've already done the majority of the storytelling for you. You know, and they got multiple modules, same as D&D. They follow a formula. It's meant for ages 10 and up. So it's simple to pick up and move on. However, when you get to those other things, adults are entertained intellectually by a whole gamut of different depth and inclusion that you have to consider your audience. You just have to. So if I'm sitting at that Pathfinder game, and I look, and it's typically your thief players who like Vampire, by the way. I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why it works out that way, but it's typically them. Know your audience. You know, if you hear them say, you know, oh man, here we go again, another combat. Yeah, great. What is it? The CR challenge rating 12 and we're 10? Yeah, it's, <laughs> someone's going to die. Right. We're going to have to get them diamonds invested. I mean, once those conversations happen, those might be your people are ready for a broader game and by the way it's not the pathfinder dungeon master's fault that's just how it's designed some sometimes you want a sunday where you're going to slay a dragon but when it comes to vampire uh, that's a different life right I, i think that it is very difficult on a whole to get people who aren't into role playing games who aren't into the whole sit down and role play it's very difficult to get new adults in as players and you know most of us started when we were kids and worked our way up. And if you're an adult getting into the hobby for the first time, it's going to be hard for you. You may have to go find a local game shop. You may have to find a community online. You may have to really do some searching because you, you know, you're probably not going to start with a bunch of kids. That would be weird. You shouldn't do that. Um, but if you already have a gaming group, if you already have a dedicated group of people that you meet with, you know, semi-regularly, I would say to sit that group down and position them, pitch them the game like any other person taking their turn storytelling or DMing or game mastering would and go, hey, this is a game. 
it's a mature game, et cetera, et cetera, and tell them, you know, this is what you can expect, and this is what's required of the game. Are you interested? And if they're interested, go further and tell them, like, we're going to work together here so that everyone has an idea of this world. And you don't want to just lob a bunch of books at them. The beauty of this game and most role-playing games specifically is that you can take the core book and go here. This is everything we need to get started. This is everything you need to have an idea of what this world is and how to get into it. And then, as, as a storyteller, slowly reveal more of the world to them. You know, if you pushed 30 books in front of me and said, all right, we're going to play this game next week, bone up, son. I'm going to be like, no. Like, if I need all this stuff, I don't want to play. The beauty no. part of it is you don't. And it's the same thing with a LARP. Most of the time, you're going to find new players that are adults in a LARP. I don't know why, just seems to be the case. They hear about it, and they're like, oh, that sounds intriguing. If someone's intrigued, they're already hooked. Give them the information, but don't give them every, don't bog them down. Adults learn differently than kids do. Kids, you can go, here's a treasure chest full of stuff, figure it out, and I'll get back to you in a week. And they're going to be like, yeah, let's build the, you know, let's build a starship and fly to the moon. Adults are like, don't bog me down. So I think the key for getting people interested is let them understand the themes. It's an adult game. It takes place in a world that's a darker version of our own. It's not a go forth an adventure type of game and see if they're interested. And my, my tried and true method, that's, that's for gamers. Yeah. That's from different genres you want to get them. If you're trying to cold call it, yeah. you're trying to talk to a group of people brand new out the box to do it, I've right. done it. And to that end, I'll tell you a story because it's a foolproof method. This will work every time, guaranteed. What you do is, well, I'll tell you my story. I was a I'm a member of Phi Lambda Chi fraternity, and uh, in college, you know, obviously it's what we did. And I'm dealing with a bunch of guys who were this is south of the Mason Dixon line, um, hard nosed, you know, Christianity's everywhere. We don't do the devil worship. We don't do none of that. And I was like, cool. We're gonna watch a series of films. My film choice was typical 80s action, Terminator, Die Hard, all this other stuff. And I'm looking around. I'm seeing a bunch of guys' eyes lighting up. Yeah, kick his ass. Shoot him. Yeah, you can put him down. He will not die. He will not. Oh, it's so cool. Terminator. I was like, hey, you guys like that? He's like, yeah, oh, man. Yeah, I bet none of you guys could be like that guy. You kidding me? I could do what Schwarzenegger did. No problem. All day, every day. Yeah? And then someone will comment, like, it's not like Bruce Willis is hard. I mean, he's cool. He's great. But, like, I mean, he's acting the role. That's what it is. It's like, yeah, man. Right. Don't you wish there was a, something you could do to put that to the test? Oh, man, I bet we can find something. I was like, hey, man, I got something. You know, it's it's a challenge of acting, and it's make-believe. It's fake. But there's a system and dice rolls and everything else. How huh? You guys interested? And out of 50 dudes... I had about, oh, 50 dudes say yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Well, let's trim it down a bit. Who's a horror fan? Now, Christianville, 30 dudes, nah. Right. 20, you still got me. All right, cool. Well, let's watch a series of horror films. You know, let's check out some vampire flicks and whatever see what we're talking about. I now have a group of 15. I had a group of 15 tabletop play consistently for a solid year of Vampire the Masquerade out of my own fraternity brothers and it was crazy town right uh why was it crazy town because they were diehard good at the game i mean these are people who i don't know if it's because we were repressed they're just we was a dry <laughs> county i don't know what was going on but you get the mountain dew you get the food you order the pizza you sit down 
I remember being held hostage on Thanksgiving break, to give you an example of the success rate, as 15 guys drove to my grandmother's house to trap me for four days straight running a Vampire of the Masquerade tabletop mm-hmm. to conclude a story. And my whole family can attest to this. They had no idea who these guys were or why they came out or what was going on, and then thought it really fucking pansy that we weren't like doing drugs, we weren't drinking, there was no women coming over, it was just us throwing down with some fangs. And that success ratio, maybe it's a, fr- a flash in the frying pan, I could tell you it's not. Right. It comes down to the setup. People don't know what role-playing is, and you can't come at them. It's this role-playing game, because media smeared Dungeons & Dragons, and it's ruined it for everything. Yeah, for some reason, like, dork is okay these days, right? Like, you can be as nerdy as possible. But when you tell people you play tabletop role-playing games, it's gone from derision to, like, awe. Like, oh, you do that? Wow, you're way nerdier than me. But because nerdy has become accepted, like, you're, you're no longer derided for it. You're, like, held in a lofty like ooh, okay well that sounds interesting but i'm just too scared and to reveal a little too much about myself i'm attackative about people use terms (laughs) like nerdy and geek to a hobby i do right and attackative in an intellectual way because i immediately respond with well what do you do for a hobby right i play fantasy football oh cool but you're also doing what i'm doing just right just saying you're you're living vicariously through athletes right but you're not getting anything for what they do right Right, right, right. It's like, oh no, oh, okay. So we're we're di- all right. Maybe we'll leave that for a nerd words. But the point is, <laughs> of course, point is, I, th- I hope that answers your question. Um, I I could say when you wanted to, you asked for an intro to Vampire the Masquerade. I'll be honest, we've never even thought of that. No, because no. we we just assume everybody has their own intro. Right, right, their own talk. But it's a phenomenal idea because right. we've had amazing success. I with mean, it. all all we can do is we can tell you like what's worked for us, and if it works for you, awesome. But there's no like universal answer to it. I mean, to me, tabletop gaming is something I fell into because I was 12 years old and I had an imagination. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what drew me in. So drawing in an adult, I really don't know that I would have any great tips or tricks to do that. I do. I have tons. And one of the most amazing ones is customer service. Right. If you're in that field, keep an open mind. They're going to shit on you. They're going to say no or hell no. You're going to get a lot of those. Right. But occasionally, you're going to get one or two. Word of mouth is everything. Yep. Those one or two are actually exponentially more than one or two, depending on who they know and talk to. Right. And there's probably plenty of people. I mean, I would just talk about your hobby. Talk about your hobby like anybody else does, because at the end of the day, you should be proud of what you do and enjoy. And if other people don't get it, maybe you need to reassess who those people are in your lives. Not to tell you how to live your life, but... I'll tell you something, and I hope White Wolf pay attention to this. Every Gen Con I went to, and I've been to eight of them eight years in a row, I would go to the White Wolf booth, and the people running the booth seem... Wah, wah, about their own product. Like, there'll be two solid guys who now, know... we weren't there this year, so we don't know... Right, 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 the, but I could speak for the eight year, right? right? And so what I could say is every time I went to the booth, I did more evangelizing about the brand than the guy or girl I was with and talking to who, who was actually running the booth. Mm-hmm. Now, that's considering the strain. They're there all day. They're melted down or doing whatever. Probably but, hungry. Maybe need a cigarette. Who knows? But those are called excuses. Okay? They simply are. Because if you're proud of what you do, you're proud of your company, you, you, you represent the brand, as I like to call it, then that is what you do. And to every person coming up just looking is a potential person, not only in purchasing and buying, but to net so much more, if you just open up their eyes to the fact of what you do right. and what this is about. And that's my advice to you. Pretend you're always at a booth. Right. And if, if I don't mean like, hi, my name's so-and-so, cool. Um, 
or or someone you go to get your coffee at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, and you're like, yeah, let me get a cafe latte, whatever you drink. And the moment that happens, she's like, cool, can I get you anything else? You're like, yeah, have you heard the second coming of Cain? And then roll into it, (laughs) maybe not. Right. (laughs) So, you know, know your audience. But yeah, definitely you should be selling what you enjoy so that other people get involved in it. And, um, you know, it's, that's a skill. Um, but, uh, um, definitely let's, let's move on to the other question. Cause there's some other, like I said, most of these questions are kind of similar. Um, that was from Dylan, by the way. I don't know if I said that at the top. Thank you, Dylan, for your question. There's question, a lot Dylan. more to your email. Um, I'll message you back and give you some more details. Cause there's maybe some things I didn't want to utter in this email um right anyways uh our uh, next email is from michael cook and michael cook says first i wanted to uh, tell you that i really enjoyed listening to your podcast at work i started listening only a few days ago and i'm almost caught up which is awesome i Thank feel you we're responsible much. for a lot of the work distractions. I, I do feel like um keep it going that's good you should you should work for your dreams not somebody else's uh, i'm very interested in playing vampire i'm looking at buying the books on amazon are those books normally high-priced, $50 or more, brand new? I was wondering, besides Vampire the Masquerade and the Revised Vampire's Player's Guide, what other books would you recommend I read to acquaint myself with the game? Besides the Bruja, do you think with enough study that the Malkavian Tremere Nasratu would be okay for a beginner? Thanks again for the podcast. I've learned quite a bit. Where to buy? Man, Nate? Well, if I had one place to suggest where you should buy these books, you should probably go through DriveThruRPG, and you should get there by going to our website and clicking on the various DriveThruRPG links that will take you to DriveThruRPG, and it will also help us keep our podcast going. So, Importantly, you mentioned 50 bucks on Amazon. That is not... Like direct to RPG, it depends if you want PDF or book format. Right. I always recommend PDF for the older material, only because you suit yourself. I do like right. splat books. We have a lot of them. Don't be a hypocrite. But we, when those were hot, we got them. I will let you know. I'm a guy who gets the hard book when it's hot. When it's older, I'll get the PDF. Right. So that's that's the distinction. But that place usually has. Um, I would say always has combative prices yeah they, they, they have pretty good prices i would say if you're gonna go and you're gonna buy a book and you're gonna buy a book on ebay you're probably better off uh, or i'm sorry if you're gonna buy it on amazon you're probably just better off getting the print on demand from drive through rpg because if you do it through drive through rpg you know what you're gonna get if you're looking for like classic books and you're dead set on getting you know the actual physical copy ebay it you know get it cheap because a lot of these books are pretty old and there's, in my opinion, there's no sense in paying 16 bucks for a Ravnos clan book from the second ed. You know, like, get it on demand. If you're going to buy older books, I would say definitely get them PDF. If you're going to get the newer books, purchase them through DriveThruRPG because that's who White Wolf uses, that's who we use, and they're a great company, so why not support them? I do DriveThruRPG for both because I'm a stickler for one-stop shops. And I like the fact that they, were, you know, your account memorizes what you have, and they recommend stuff right. that you might be interested beyond that of Vampire. Right, and uh, we don't we don't get paid by drive through RPG. We do get a little like, uh, here's a penny for a book you sell. Yeah, but for the record, we both use it. Right. I mean, that's right. the thing. I mean, that's that's why we went through them to even partner with them um, to you know link to their site because you know the people that work there, we've you know met them in passing at cons, and they've always been cool. They've Super always, cool. right, they they know their product, and it's it's who White Wolf uses. So if you're going to support that company, you might as well support the company that, that that's supporting that. So 
uh, enough of that. Um, as far as like your questions, it really comes down to what you feel comfortable with as far as starting clans are concerned. Like there's no right or wrong answer. For me, I played a Bruja first because I was like, ah, this is the easiest. I'll get a feel for it. But if you read the book, you read the clan book and you're like, ah, I really want to play a Tremere. I'm really comfortable with that. And your storyteller's cool with it. Awesome. Go for it. The one page uh, intros. I like to call them uh, flash pages because they're, they're they're not very much detail, but it's enough to get you interested. They're always in the base book, right? Look at all the clans. Whichever one jumps out to you, sticks in your head, that's the book you want to get. Because um, you should always do that. Because I will tell you the curse. Curse of being a player in, in Vampire, really in all of them, is that the one clan that sticks out to you is the clan that's going to be you. It's going to color your role play, no matter what you make that point forward. It takes about a good solid year of probably your fifth character where you start breaking out of having an attachment to that initial clan or group because they're so versatile. You can literally, anyone could literally start playing any clan and I could do this challenge. There's, you can't pick a clan that I can't find in every other clan book. And by what I mean by that is you pick your concept, <laughs> guarantee it's going to string to elsewhere. They designed it that way. Right. There's no exclusion here, but it's enough to make you feel individual depending on the concept you choose. So that's a very difficult one to answer. I would say know you, know how you role play, and do the flash pages. Yeah, yeah. Definitely read read the clan books before you make a dedication and make sure you're comfortable with it. Um, it's going to be a challenge no matter what you do because you're doing it for the first time. Read the clan pages yeah, before yeah, making the purchase. Yeah, of, of course. Clan read yeah. those. Yeah, of course. And then once you're once you're like, you know, your interest is drawn in enough, get a clan book. Read it. Make sure it, it appeals to you and make sure you feel comfortable. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to this game there's really no right or wrong answers and that's the other beauty part like we we have personal beliefs on how the game should be played but also that's just us and there isn't any it's only if you want to be adequate right if you want to be sufficiently adequate at what you're doing definitely but what we were talking about before if you have a bunch of friends that are like yeah i want to play this vampire game and i want to run around with a chainsaw and chop people up great give it to them give it to them but then feed them those other things and realign their perceptions by the way for all you people listening if that is your method of playing chainsaw bus song through as a vampire may i direct you to whole human occupied landfill also <laughs> made by black dog games uh that's hol just fyi Alrighty. so uh last question uh it's from he who's spritable i don't i'm not actually sure what that means but um uh, dear Nate, uh, dear Bob and Nathan, uh, may I first say I've been very lucky to find your podcast, 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I've only recently gotten, gotten into Vampire about six months ago, and all of these resources have been a great help in my formative education. Awesome. Thank you very much. The drive to join. Uh, for one of my players in a Pathfinder game who told me he was running a game of Vampire the Masquerade and that I wasn't invited. Having been rebuffed, I started reading and learning as much as I could. The game I had excluded had crashed and burned. The game he was excluded from crashed and burned a while ago. All of them swearing they would never play the game again, partially due to how the storyteller tried to run the game into Call of Cthulhu and gimping everyone's character. So can I put a footnote there? Mm -hmm. We had, on our Curse of Cain uh, chat, we've had Humanity Beast discussions all day. It was a very cool discussion. I'm super glad I caught it. But it directly sings to me here mm -hmm. um, on two fronts. One being the player excluded, right? I've been that. Nate's been that. Everybody's been that guy who someone was like, you know what? I'm going to run a game, but you're not welcome. Okay. It's no big deal. 
It's like, cool. So I apparently don't mash personality style with someone. And believe it or not, they're saving you a lot of drama. You know, it's just, it's no big deal. You don't need to find out. And joke's on them. Oh no, it burned. However, I actually feel sorry for that storyteller because he went in at the Cthulhu method, right? Right. But then he nerfed it too much. So he took control from the players to run this big mystery, scary game and lost them in what the game is. Right. And that's so easy to do when, you know, you you don't know your audience and that's, Right. That's tied near but to it. I feel like you have to strike a delicate balance between building the the outline and skeleton of a game and writing fiction. Right. The moment that y- your players' decisions are too impactful to the story you're trying to tell, that's where you've kind of crossed over into writing fiction. And that's not that's no longer a game. I think that the key focus should be as a storyteller to create a world. And the world breathes and moves and responds like our real world does. And you shouldn't be trying to force players into a direction because that world should be there to respond accordingly to what they do. For sure. But not to smash their every move because it doesn't confine with the linear tale you're trying to tell. If you're trying to tell a linear tale, write fiction. For all you storytellers out there who uh, have had that frustration where you've had players walk or games quit or what have you, I could tell you that comes from one of two things. Either that player wasn't honest with you when they sat down with the type of game they were looking for, or you were not able to see past your own story. And that is a distinction easily made. If more than 80% of your players, I'd say 50% actually, more than half your game is disgruntled, take the time to pull them aside differently and hear what their problems are. If the problems are, I don't have enough points on my character sheet compared to the challenge it's faced, and your answer to storytelling isn't, well, that's because you weren't necessarily supposed to take these people on. You're free to do so. Bravo, by the way, to make that distinction and tell them that. Uh, but you weren't supposed to yet. However, you are empowered to work on other things and figure other stuff out. That's okay. A lot of players need to hear that their storyteller is willing to have that, uh, that visibility. That's cool. However, if you talk to that player and they say, you know, to be honest, why the hell couldn't I do this simple thing? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, I, that wasn't available in that story that's when you were literally hearing how to fix your own game. Right. Right. And you've, and you've impacted the trust and it's your job to repair the trust. If you want to retain that player. Right. However, that player is a problem player and we haven't gotten to those books yet, but, uh, actually don't remember if it's in the cam guide that we're going to review today or not. Uh, there's a section on problem players. No, I don't think it's in the cam guide. I think it's in, uh, a storytellers. There you go. Yeah. Storytellers guide. Um, it's a great guide. We haven't got to it yet, but, uh, there's a series of them. What we mean by problem players, it's not that that player is a quote unquote problem. It's that every player you have fits a stereotype that White Wolf took the time to literally pilfer and filter and figure out all these little nooks in. And uh, we'll get into that more in depth later. What I will tell you is, is to make your own distinction. You'll have a player who wants more power because they want more control over the story. Fair. You can fix that. Um, I can't really, we don't have that kind of time to go right, through all right. those distinctions. What I will say is, Take the time to do due diligence to pull them aside and see what you're willing to compromise to keep that player within your story. And if it turns out that player asked for too much, cut them. Right. It's that simple. Yeah. You don't need every player at your table to be 100% happy with what's going on. You'd like them to be, but if they're not going to compromise, you don't have time for that. Right. Um, to get to his question, uh, he says, uh, how do I introduce someone to a world of darkness, vampire, werewolf, mage, etc., etc.? It takes a lot of investment to brush up on the lore of the world of darkness, find something you want to play etc. 
how do I get people to dive into a game? Well, I think we pretty much covered this, but I'll just recap for you. My opinion on the matter is start small, pick a game, whatever game it is, mummy, werewolf, you know, changeling, and give them the pitch. Give them a base book. Don't bog them down with all the lore. It doesn't matter. The lore is learned like anything else through experience. You know, and sometimes, I would say oftentimes, you're going to have a better experience with someone who doesn't know every rich, dark detail because players tend to do this, which is you're telling a story and they're going, oh, that's that. Oh, that's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know about that. I know. And you're like, stop, shut up and listen to the story. Stop trying to put the puzzle together and matching it to the lore. What, what, what we're doing, mm-hmm. what Nate described perfectly, is that they're trying to reach you as a story to let you know that they agree with you. Right. It's not negative. Right. When they're filling in the blanks or they're trying to save you time and having to describe it, what they're failing to realize is that they're denying you the ability to add the enrichment necessary to immerse them right. in what you're doing. And I'll tell you, they don't know it as well as you do. <laughs> right. You're running the story. They may know the definition. Have they applied it? Right. Exactly. Is, is everything. And that's where you will always win is the application of it. So I would say my advice to you is don't feed your new player's lore. Tell them a story and let them discover the world as you tell the story. Perfect. Get, get used to uh, a poker face. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's from Clan Book Bali. Is it? Can you hand me the Mountain Dew, please? I'm running low. <laughs> right. You never answer it. Right. Absolutely. So anyways, thank you guys for your questions. Uh, it was a little long-winded, but hopefully it was informative. Let's get into the Camarilla Guide. So uh, the Camarilla Guide, what can be said about it that hasn't already been said? So this book is obviously <laughs> the most comprehensive book about the Camarilla, right? right? And so in it, there's several different things we could do um, in conquering this book. <laughs> One that we're not going to do is tell you about the intro story, because guess what it's about? Probably about the Camarilla. Yep. Uh, why it's good is that when you go through like every single one of the books, it gets you to know what the defined detail is going right. to be in the book itself. And everything Camarilla is in here, and I do mean everything. Yeah. Uh, first off, I always like to start off with what is the Camarilla, that question. They have it in a book, and they start off by telling you what it's not, right? And so when you think about it, though, to you, Nate, what is not the Camarilla? Um, it's not uh, a gang of vampires. Um, it's not, uh, it's not a bunch of people that get along. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> On that in of itself, without right. looking at the book, what are the common three misconceptions about Camarilla, Sabat, and Anarchs? Well, so the, I, I would say the biggest misconception is that the Camarilla it's like the U.S. military. It's all fighting on the same side, right? Right. And the Sabbat is like some other foreign power, you know, whatever. You can interchange them, but like everyone gets along and everyone agrees and we're all working towards the same goal. No. Right. In common casual conversation, players will, everyone will distinctly go, not ah, Camarillo's good guys. Sabbat are the bad guys because of extremes of violence. And then the Anarchs, those are the kids. Right. They're the in-between nobodies who haven't figured out life yet or a job. Right. I love that this book, it's off the bat, addresses that question. Yeah. Camarilla is absolutely not the good guys. No, not at all. In any, fr- there, there are no good guys in the world of darkness. They no. don't exist. The world is gray. It is not black and white. Virtue is a weakness to be crushed. That's that simple or as that. exploited. Right, exploited. Uh, these are like, that's, that's the thing that I think people miss the most is that, you know, the Camarilla, they're not at all 
any better than the Sabbat. They just choose to hide their transgressions. They choose not to be overt about the stuff that they do. And in many cases, they're worse. It's a point of religion. The Camarilla was formed to bring order out of chaos, what they perceive to be chaos. And actually, it's even more in depth than that, right? The Camarilla are the elders right. who scraped to come together to oppose the final push of the young. To bring law to the lawless. And that was it. And how they did it, and it was ingenious and a gamble, they had that treaty, did they not? Treaty right. of Thorns, where they said, hey, look, hey, hey, you rambunctious anarchs, those of you who showed up tonight, we're cool. We're willing to let you be you, call you anarchs, you just gotta let us know, and you know, you only have to obey the masquerade, that's it. Right. And there were a lot of anarchs who didn't agree with the psychotic depredations of the Sabbat. They weren't the Sabbat yet. I like a term called the first. That's a term we coined in Curse of Cain, but really they're the first anarchs. They're the ones who said, we rallied and went and ate our antediluvians, right. came over. That's extreme. Right. Wait a second. You rallied together and cross-clan win eight progenitors? What are you trying to do but end the world? Right. Like, how crazy would that be? And then from that, the fires of the Inquisition, everyone's dying, all that. And so finally the elders were like, we play the long game. We were millennia old before we came up with this sect, and uh, we're going to answer this with a solution and right. you're going to obey why because never before have we elders decided to put aside our differences to band together to stop anything right so the camarilla is unification of power it is power put together for a common ideal and that of maintaining the traditions period which establishes order which re-gives and redistributes the power back to those elders who have it to the sabbat chagrin right right yeah absolutely and so that's what it is. So the Sabbat are pissed because, oh, wait a second, we're going to oppose you. Well, of course you are. And we knew you were. But look who didn't go with you. The Anarchs in the middle. Right? Right. Exactly. They're those people who want to be free to make their own way, the ones who originally had the problem. And you extremist rambunction. Right. I, want, I wonder how many Camarilla elders had their own children become Sabbat. You know, they wanted what their sires had, and that's why they went Anarch in the first place. Mm -hmm. And when they heard we, you know, my my arch villain arch nemesis i've warred with i embraced you to help me oppose he and i sit at the same table tonight drinking from the same person and we've decided that you will stop well and, and you know that's the thing like freedom means different things to different different individuals and the freedom of no longer being under this the thumb and the rule of my sire doesn't necessarily mean that it's also the freedom to hack and slash those who I want, you know, to wantonly Correct. murder too. But for some it does. And that's that's where the difference is. The Camarilla, I've never seen an example where the Camarilla was unified in their ideals save for the traditions. And they're very simple. They're very basic traditions. They go over them in here and they go over them in pretty in pretty decent in detail. In depth. Um, which... I believe in uh, the Vampire the Masquerade revised rules, they go over them as well, right? Of course. But they go into them more detailed here. They give you a better, more richer understanding of what they are and what they may be interpreted as. Um, and they talk about the Masquerade. Now, why does the Camarilla follow the Masquerade? Why do they participate in that, that tradition? Well, because they've seen the flames of Inquisition they know what a combined force of human beings can do. And it's not that they necessarily fear that, it's that they understand those are not good times. Wait a second, Bob. So before the Camarillo, the masquerade didn't exist? 
no, it's incorrect. Right. It it did exist. No, it's that, a tradition. That, that was that was always the rule. Right. Um, it wasn't enforced. Look at it this way: vampires were naughtiest back when nobody can catch them. Right. Pre electricity, right? What? Who's gonna believe you? I can erase your mind and make you believe you're a woman if I want to, and enforce that right. until I get bored of it. When I'm Count Dracula on some remote hilltop where the peasants fear my very name and tremble to even be born near here. That was different when all of a sudden I can Uber to Count Dracula's castle and take the tour. Right. Right? So they had to learn their lesson, though. Somewhere between those two examples, there was a flaming revolt, right? But the whole entire time, the elders knew that as the mortals, if you're basic predator knowledge, if the wolf reveals to the sheep the sheep that they're, they're being hunted, they all run. Right. All of them run to live it's instinct so it behooves me to be as a sheep or be as the terrain to not exist at all would be the best masquerade and that is what they did pre uh camera formation and it worked very well they developed demenses large uh, large tracts of land to rule over if you don't know the term and they they crowned princes and they had an organization to it they even had a war of princes we're talking dark ages here right but this you have to because the Camarilla ideal wasn't just thought of at one convention. No. It was combining it was sort of what codified. Worked. Exactly. Right. It was basically what was a, uh, I use this term a lot, but what was sort of like a nebulous idea was sort of brought into a solidified code. It was brought into this organization that says, together, we can continue to exist. We can stay away from the flame of the Inquisition from the masses with pitchforks and torches. These are the laws. These are the rules. We will all obey those rules. However, right. they will apply uh, you know, more so to those who have less standing. It's, it's really, it's an elder power play. These elders said, we don't want to die. We don't, we're, we're tired of the children running and fleeing. So let's let them in. Everyone gets equal protection. Everyone is accepted in the Camarilla. All you must do is obey its laws. And those laws are up to interpretation based on who's running the city you live in. However, they still fit within the confines of these six traditions. Now, here's something you can do. You can gain standing. You can be more welcome to court. You know, not not to get ahead of ourselves. Here's one of the three keys that Nate's touching on. That what you just mentioned, the whole thing is called intrigue. Mm -hmm. And intrigue basically is, it's not as it, everything is not as it appears to be. Everything's organized, everything's ran well on the surface. Right. However, behind the scenes, thus the intrigue, is who's screwing over who and why. And the fundamental thing about intrigue in the Camarilla is that nobody really wants anybody else to die. That's uh, going back to our podcast where we talk about Ennui, uh, which is, you know, out of the Elysium book. It's very true. I'm an elder, and I really do hate Nate. Oh, I loathe him. I loathe the ground he walks on, the computer he types at. The mic he uses, oh, he's terrible. It's, I can't believe him. Right. Except I need him out of my life is so boring and right what would dismal. i do if i finally won no one right no one ever opposes my thoughts at court i get what i want i i mean oh woe is me immortality of always getting what you want and every night i speak he's there to challenge and if i didn't have him i would run unchallenged and then i wouldn't have to think right i wouldn't have to work i wouldn't have something to focus me so that's the personal intrigue as to why i get into these tete-a-tetes with my rival then there's the aspect of, is Nate enough of a rival? Mm-hmm. Sounds like he's a firebrand. Sounds like he's young. Somebody I cultivate. Somebody who one night I may consider an ally. Because I don't want him dead. There is someone I want dead and just so happens to be my sire. 
right? He sits in the primitive council. Me, currently, I'm sitting in another position. We'll leave that open place. Possibly the harpy. Who knows? And this son of a bitch rules this city draconian. The prince has no idea what he's up to. All the places he has, people dancing to his tune. And every night he kisses the prince's ass at the same court to unknown parties he gets invited to that I never am privy to. And how does that work out? That's all intrigue. And that's very much the Camarilla. And it's on intrigue, I'd like to start, because uh, that's where the positions come in. Right. Because it's going to help the conversation go with the rest of the podcast. Um, we've heard titles of Prince, Primogen, Whips, Scourges, all these things over a slew of podcasts, but I think in one we need to hit them. Right. Um, just to hit them with the definition required. Right. And by that, our definition. We're right. not going to read to you what's in the book, because the book gives like three, four pages right. apiece. And now, uh, also, it, I think it bears mentioning that this is what the current positions look like as of 1998. Um, in some of the other books, they'll introduce more obscure positions. Um, you know, they'll change some things up. V20 will add some things, but this and, is the core. And directly why that happens is because live action is hand in hand. Right. So the guy to the Camarilla was heavily influenced by what was going on in other games in live action. It's tried and true. Because Warp's the first to have a series of positions outlined. Absolutely. We went over this with you. Because if you're wondering why suddenly one week we're talking about there was the prince and there might have been a sheriff. Maybe there's a primogen. To suddenly we have seneschals and we have harpies and we right. have all. That's because in LARP. Gets very boring if there's one person ruling on top and one dude to run right. after problems, and it's not I'm really just an elder, right? Not a very good game. That's the mechanic behind it. But when you think of the intrigue and how it was put in, oh man, it makes sense that there are other important roles that maybe they had not defined yet because they weren't certain how they were going to work. This right. book touches on, I believe, just about all of them. Yeah. Um. So the first thing that they they talk about is the inner circle, and we've talked about the inner circle a number of times, and there's sort of a vaguely shrouded in mystery group of individuals the number of which are relatively unknown and most most individuals in the city will never know of them according to the book if you right. kept up with the giovanni chronicles they're the founders right and in here they indicate that every 13 years this inner circle changes right whether that's true or not uh it's up to you right that's that that to me is the MacGuffin. why right. we're saying hey man change him if you want yep absolutely and and the same can be said about the justicars who answer only to the inner circle as far as anyone any regular neonate and still a vampire living in any city the justicar is the highest authority of the camarilla so what's the what's the purpose of the inner circle the inner circle are the top representatives of every clan that is officially in the camarilla you are not considered a full clan unless you have inner circle representation note i say representation it doesn't mean that you have to have a member of your clan up there, but there's someone, some inner circle representatives say, yes, they are a clan. Right. And that's that. These individuals have such power, we won't even get into it further, but they're the ones who are the shot callers of the entire organization. Right. They're, they're, they're like the, the, the syndicate, you know, they're like the, if we're talking about like the mafia, they're the heads of the five families. <laughs> the Bilderberg group. Right. Uh, so <laughs> when it, when it gets to the Justicars, however, well, we're in a circle. We're not going to go around crackheads. Right. No. We, we need to be insular and safe from all the dirt that could get on us. However, we will extend our authority to a select few, call them justicars, and they will go around and be judged during executioner of our law. Mm -hmm. They will swear to it. They will know by it. And this is what will happen. And there's a nasty rumor even. It is said that the justicars that are represented as ruthless and cunning and cutthroat as they can be and draconian most certainly 
after seven years, if they get voted out, they disappear. Every Justice card goes missing. And it's rumored the inner circle diabolizes them. That when it's done, you're taken and you're eight. That's one vicious rumor. Right. The other rumor is, is that your inner circle takes the Justice card to replace them. Is it true? I don't know. How do you want to run your game? They never confirm it. Right. So uh, up next, uh, aside from the Justicars, obviously you have the the Archons. The Archons. Justicar is one individual, right? And that Justicar can't be everywhere, so they need agents in the field. They need people to go out and do their bidding. And as you can see, this is a shit rolls downhill scenario. <laughs> right. The Archons, uh, you know, if you're just your normal average kindred in the city, you don't want to come across an Archon because you have no idea what they're there for. Even if they tell you, it could be a lie. They are the eyes, ears, and f- and fists, really, of the Justicar. They are empowered to act on behalf of the Justicar, and uh, that could mean bad news for you. And by even empowered, it does not mean, though, that they come in and replace the power of a city. Now, checks and balances, if you're looking for power rolls downhill, it goes into a circle, Justicar Prince. Those are the top three mm-hmm. echelons that he gets in the camera roll. The Archons are not above Princes, okay? However, they're autonomous from the prince's rule. Right. They are free. They don't have to listen to a prince. That is the Justicar they have to listen to. However, the Justicar finds them out of line. Yeah. That's the problem. Right. That's also the checks and balance. Fair? Right. Absolutely. Then, of course, you have the prince of the city. The prince is the uh, de facto greatest uh, predator in the city. He lords over it. He's the strongest whatever. He's the prince. He's the individual with the most influence, and he holds that city in practice. It's not always the case. Sometimes you have a puppet prince. Sometimes right. you have someone who doesn't have a lot of power, but others in with power have put him in that position. But we'll say for all intents and purposes, the prince is the baddest of the bad in the city. He's the individual with the will and power to hold that city. Then you have the primogen. And, I, you know, do primogen, like, they're they're just like... They're just advisors to the prince, right? They absolutely they just... are just advisors. They are never not just advisors to the prince. However, they are typically elders. Right. Um, so primogen, primogen literally means uh, the first mm-hmm. of, of the clan, like the first member of, meaning they're the top ranking. And that's, and that's how that works. Um, the primogen tur believe I'm butchering that word. Primogenture? Primogenture, excuse me, sometimes are referred to as it's an old parlance. That's how a prince would refer to them. And these advisors collectively... In theory, because how a prince has their influence absolutely is due to the primogen. Right. The primogen grant them the right and title of prince and say that amongst us, you are the one we want to lead for whatever reason. Right. And because of that, we will sit as your advisors, but we will also cultivate parts of the city to maintain a hold because we're in a coterie. Right. Every hierarchy is a coterie unto itself. If you ever are a player in a LARP or tabletop scenario and decide, fuck that harpy, I'm going to get the sheriff to oppose him. You have just cut your own throat. That sheriff and harpy will work out a deal to spin you on your head. They could hate each other. Right. But who are you to get in, in the middle of that flirtation? Right. Right? And that's how that goes. They're in a coterie together. So if you think not, you're mistaken, or it's a great plot that you somehow stumbled into, and man, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> so, uh, but back to the point. So the Primogen Council doesn't have to be a me- like the typical assumption is that they're every member of the clans representing the city will have a primogen no that's definitely not the case no um it's it's an elder usually or an influential canine 
who the prince acknowledges as somebody worth advising. Right. Or, or alternatively, that council could say, he is an equal to us. Bring him to the council. Just so. Right. And, that, and that's how you'd have a city where you have two Bruja Primogen, you have two Torador, you have no Gangrel. There's not a single influential uh, individual among that clan. Right. They do not deserve to sit on this council. They certainly don't deserve to directly communicate with the prince. And they, they aren't good enough to sit with us. Now, how does that Primogen council not rule the city? When it's already said, there's puppet princes, paper tigers. Yeah. Someone who might be young of age or usually not young of age is ignorant to politics. Needs that permission council to keep them, keep them afloat, keep it going. And so there's a, there's a synergy that right. goes there. However, usually that prince is, is the tiger, which means it takes the might of the entire permission council to force that prince to see reason. Right. That does not mean that they're all going to band together and jump the prince. No. That cuts off their nose to spite their own face. Because remember... They're coder. Right. And I think, too, that it bears stating that these are individuals who are acting over the course of months, years. These are long games. These are games of influence. These are games of intrigue, of back and forth. These are not open combat games. Right. You know, these are not like the prince is like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to chop the head off of three of my primogen council. Awesome. What's horrible, though, that's a real right the prince has. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which is the danger of the primogen. If I'm going to openly oppose the prince, I better make sure we met at a summit that he wasn't privy to. Right. And that's, that's in secret and everything's copacetic. Because if I didn't, oh, that prince can show up to my house the next night with the sheriff. Oh, for sure. And just kill me. I think in most circumstances, you're going to find that it's the prince acting and it's the primogen council reacting or acting uh, in accordance to steer the prince. And everybody kind of knows what's going on. Right. But we're not openly engaged in war we may have words we may have a snide comment i may blink when you talk however i would never be so brazen as to challenge you but man interesting enough how does the prince and primogen stop from being in each other's throats that's uh, a good question they, they invented a position for that it's called the seneschal believe it or not and you have to it's one-sided <laughs> here the seneschal was invented to be bred for the next prince this is the person who is considered to be an outstanding speaker of the prince's vocal uh, once and, and non-once, basically. Right. You, you can look at them as a, um, what's that term? A yojimbo, if you like, if you right. prefer, if that helps you understand what they do. But a seneschal literally means he's a keeper of the estate. He tends to all things that the prince doesn't have to be bothered with. However, by tend to all things, that's every gripe, bitch, complaint, issue, rumor, everything that would be brought to the prince must first go through the seneschal to be arranged to be brought to the prince. Hmm. Interesting. Well, what happens when we choose to go over the Seneschal's head, right? Mm -hmm. And then just like, you know, I'm the primogen, I'm just going to go at the prince, and I don't go through the Seneschal. Oh, you risk being set up. Right. Is what that is. Because you just told the Seneschal they don't matter, they're not of worth, and he has nobody but the prince. Right. You've made a sour mistake. Um, you made it to where that prince will never be ousted and will never be challenged or any any other sort because you forced them to have to be in collusion. Right. Right, with the net coterie. However, in a healthy Rand city, the Seneschal is merely the one who the primogen will go to with all the meniality of running the city. Right. And, and come to an agreement. And uh, in certain circumstances, they may work through a whip. Boom. 
And what's a whip? Well, uh, think of the actual term. Like, what does that represent? It, you're you're the permagen's gopher. <laughs> you're essentially <laughs> the the. Yeah, you know, I, I send you off here. I need to speak with the seneschal. I don't have time to speak with the seneschal because I'm watching the ballet. Whip, what? send this message. Make sure this gets to the prince. Okay. Well, I'm the whip. Hey, seneschal. Uh, blah blah blah. I don't have time for you. Fuck off. Whatever. And you, and you could treat it that way, but let's go with the ideal. I love mm -hmm. ideals. That's usually how it gets treated. A strong, healthy relationship between a primogen and a whip of the same clan. That whip actually handles all the problems and grievances of the individual clan members. Right. Normally, when you come new to a city, you're not talking to the primogen first. You get brought to the whip. Why are we risking our hierarchy members? Right. We don't. The whip is so not... We have, we have filters for. Right. The whip is not the officiated hierarchy member. We can go through a thousand whips. Right. If we like. It's no big deal. Um, but they are a big deal because a good whip cultivates a strong relationship with everyone in their clan. That being the case, they represent a strength, yet another pillar for that primogen to stand upon to keep them where they're at. And that primogen should be the smartest, well-educated member of that clan to be of value to the whip because you are cultivating the whip to eventually sit amongst you as an equal. Right. However, smart primogen keeps that whip there a very long time. Right. And uh, alternatively, you know, they, they indicate in the book here that... Uh that it could actually be a troublemaker of the clan. Yep. The Primogen wants to direct their energies. They want to keep them in a place where they can see them and make sure they're not fucking up. So, you know, there's there's really, there's no right or wrong answer per se because it all depends on how your city runs it and how your Primogen handle it. And, you know, but he, here's the basic guidelines. Here's the, the, the concepts. Man, who keeps all the social ins and outs and intrigues and what's going on and what's to do and everything else in the city. I feel like it could be somebody who talks a lot, maybe like the Harpy. Yeah, uh, the Harpy. Here is the pound-for-pound pound most powerful position intrigue-wise in the city. It truly is. The important thing about the Harpy is that they are granted their standing from the Primogen Council as well. The Primogen agree that the Harpy is someone who has proven trustworthy, um, honorable, astute. Um, how do I put this? Yeah, you're the person who we like having around. You're the person who we endorse, keeping the style and prestige and the way we want our city to appear. That's you. In a way, you hold yourself, comport yourself, and operate. We're the council that's observed you, and that's good. More importantly, they also have to go to the prince and convince the prince of that. And the prince, usually, sure. Right? It's that right. simple. Go ahead. Here's the important thing. Prince is going to have the seneschal keep the harpy in check. That's who does it. Because are they not interchangeable? Seneschal is the prince when the prince is not around. Right. So the harpy often has to work with the seneschal to arrange things, know what's going on in the city, what, what are we going to tell the prince, that and sort of thing. And also make sure that those that are in stay in and those that are on the outs stay out. Oh, what does that mean? Those who are in. Well, let's give an example of somebody who's in. I'm about to go to a city that I've never been to but I know that things have gotten troubled where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, we know things are troubled where I'm at, says the prince of the city I'm going to. And for lack of a better term, we'll use, uh, well, we'll use Chicago. I am Prince Loden. I receive a letter from Bob that states that, you know, I'm the greatest, of course, blah, blah, blah. The prince is amazing. Yes, I know. Um, Chicago is a powerhouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you want to come study architecture and, and, and art and, and maybe keep... Uh-huh. Sure. Sounds great. Where's the meat of it? Oh, I'm the chilled of blah, 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 bruja. Right. There's the issue. Right. Where did he come from? Well, that wasn't in the letter. 
just or, says he's right. going to be here. Interesting. Well, Harpy, have you heard of this person? Most important thing of the Harpy right then. Harpy grabs that, looks at it, and either lies to the prince mm -hmm. or tells the prince the truth, but then adds, I'm going to find out who this is. Right. Because if the Harpy knows who this person is, odds are this isn't the first time they've tried to come to the city or even have visited. Contrary to popular opinion, the prince does not know every single person that's come through. Right? How could they? It's, it's impossible, right? However, oh, they can make it very uncomfortable the longer you stay there. Because that's a crux, right? Now, this is a person who's in. So let's say it's a Bruja, didn't add where they're from, the name, the Harpy is aware of who this is. Mm -hmm. Or at least of the sire, this person says. Right. And says, don't worry, I'm going to contact the city, I'll get your answer. And the prince is probably going to go, it's a well-written letter, what am I walking into, though? Who am I accepting as, as a headache or a help to the city? And we'll say it's proper, right? This falls channel. She makes phone call, or he makes that phone call, learns of what's going on, and the sire is just wanting to grow their chilled's exploration of the world, what have you. I.e., I'm getting sick of him. <laughs> right. Just get him the fuck away from me. Right. All right, cool. The prince, well, I'm willing to do it. Harpy, does the sire agree for a commensurate gift? And the harpy, already with them. Oh, well, that's appropriate. Yes, we'll schedule them for this week. Inform the keeper, Elysium, gathering, somewhere posh. That's simple. That's somebody who's in at the moment, right? Brand right. new, you're into the city. Introduction was meant, lineage is sound, you're not a problem, you're just literally leaving before it can become one. We can deal with this. Right. Unless you shit the bed at the meeting, which that can happen, we're not talking about that. But let's say you're out. Let's reverse those, those bits. Let's say your sire's mentioned, but in the letter you put, yeah, my sire was an asshole, you know, always trying to tell me what <laughs> right, to do, where right. to go, how to be, and then the sheriff, oh my God, up my ass 24-7. That's a quick way, not denied from the city, but that's a quick way not to be accepted. Right. Right? You would come here even sending a letter. Prince is going to tell that harpy, I, who is this again? And the harpy's going to go, I don't know, sir. Right, where are we going to visit right, him? Right. Oh, we're not. Right. Like this is uh inform the deputy to keep him away from blah blah blah. Whatever they gotta do, keep him on the outs and keep him well bored. Right. We don't want him to stay. Keep him in the dark. You know. Feed him mushrooms. Right. Don't don't uh But do call the scourge. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you see how that works? Right. Do forward this guy to the list, wherever he's at. Now the importance of that is we're talking harpy tactics. As a harpy, and we'll spend a little time on this because this is why we read this guide and we're going over it. What do I do as a harpy to really hold my power? We just gave you a big tip. Right. How that's played at high level. Who you say is in with the prince or out with the prince is everything. So long as you know who the prince approves of and does not approve right. of. Right. And also, so long as you know who you're cutting off. Right. You know, who you stand to embarrass and their status and their standing and more importantly their influence their ability to oh you want to snub me you want to snub me well i've got friends all over the fucking place you know so and also it's a delicate act too they talk about how you know sometimes a, a youthful kindred will want to you know set their sights on getting that position of harpy and they open their mouth and guess what all of these other sharks are swimming in the sea too and yeah. they get chewed down and 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 beat up and spit out so you know it's it's a it, all of this is a delicate balancing act it's all the the politics of the camarilla of courtly life that of, sounds it sounds daunting it's not it's really not 
Um, when you think about it, uh, if you're a harpy, my tip to you, it's what I do every time, I focus on the hierarchy. That's all that matters. If someone in the hierarchy knows who you are, odds are it behooves me to speak to you. If they don't know who you are, then I'm still going to talk to you because you may be of use to me. However, I'm not sticking my neck out for you. In fact, that's not my job. My job is to humiliate you or to reward you right. with my attention based on how things go. And if ever I ignore you, it's the death of you socially because no one will hear from you. You do not just go over the harpy's head and schedule a meeting with the permagen and have it. That's called getting an enemy. Right. You know what I mean? Very short order. Um, at times this is done. A lot of people in games and cities because STs just haven't seen this guy, don't have an idea of how that might work. It's a necessary balance to portraying a court, right? A proper court. If you think of uh, Parliament, which is the, uh, the, the French court, right? Uh, back in the medieval ages, um, that, that they use that example that Kindred uses as a form of the court of love, right? And, you know, you had like clergy, knights, and commoners uh, all part of this same court in whatever representation they have. But the point is, intrigue was at an all-time high. But you had someone who spoke for these people and, and, and traversed these uh, branches of station, which is primarily what the harpy does, to have these conversations. You know, why doesn't the prince like this new Bruja? Really, he knows the new Bruja because the prince being a Bruja, he was going to embrace this guy, but this person sire did it first. Right. Bad blood, bad memory. You know that as the harpy, now you know better than to say anything because that's the prince's secret you're keeping. And that's the person's trust you want to maintain. However, what if you don't? What if you want to sell it to a primogen? What if you can see from all the conversations you've been a part of, the prince isn't going to be here much longer? Right. Right? You want to play that game, but you can, but, you know, caveat, right? Right. Absolutely. Um, so uh, on from the harpy, then we have the keeper of Elysium. And what do they do? They keep Elysium. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, the keeper of Elysium's most important role, right, is the fact that it's an honorific title given to someone who the elders feel they're about to enter and become an elder. They have what it takes. You know, they're austere, they're passionate about their likes and dislikes, but it's to a level of taste. They know what they're talking about. They're very good at presenting themselves. They're respectful. They've cultivated the right friendships. They bring a level of elegance right. or a level of power, again, that image of the city that they prefer. And this person, we would like to see handle more responsibility to hopefully eventually consider them an elder. Right. Not a primogen. <laughs> right. Right? Because that's the unspoken thing in the Camarilla. Besides the hierarchy, you do have a body of elders that exists in the city because it's a city. Right. And they've moved here to keep it going. And those are the people often who have as much influence as those primogen who are out there. Right, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's an onion. Yep. Now, what's important is, is once you get to consider to be that elder and you do that, you're now invited. All the Elysiums, all the titles, all the games. You get to see who owes who what. Why wasn't I allowed in that huge palisade in the hills? Right, it's like a begrudging acceptance. Like the elder council, the quote-unquote elder council, the assembled elders, they don't want you to be there but also they accept when you arrive. Right. You know, they, you're another rival and they don't want you, but also they kind of do. <laughs> and and that's, that's that weird thing we were talking about before, where as like you get older, you age, you need things to entertain you. And when someone has finally found themselves within the trappings of being an elder, well, all right, you're an elder. Well, man, what does the Keeper of Elysium do then? Well, since we know that you're chose how you're chosen, mm -hmm. What responsibility do we give you? 
Well, that's every place the prince considers in Elysium, and he's an elder, so it's what the elders have agreed upon, has historical relevance, um, places that cannot be destroyed or broken down or masquerade breached. You, you cannot discuss politics there following the laws of Elysium. All things are obeyed. These are the sites almost sacrosanct right. to, to those in the city, but you're the one who is responsible for those sites now politically. Right. Meaning, if we decide to go to the Field Museum of Science and Industry to run it out at night for a gathering, and I am the Prince of Chicago, I'm going to contact Nate, my keeper, to make sure it's prepared. Now, it's already maintained and prepared. Right. The rent's paid, and however that is, the lights stay on, whatever we do to do it, we do it. It's not of the keeper's pocket, but the keeper's job is to go there and put on an event. Right. Decorations. Who's going to be here? Is the prince in a foul mood or not? Right. Well, when the prince is in a foul mood, his favorite colors are red. Right? So we'll put red banners and streamers up and balloons to make it look nice, but we know someone's going to die. But also we'll say six weeks ago when you came up with this idea and you contacted me, things were going well. Things were on the up and up. We had everything going, but now there's a bit of a security risk in the city. Perhaps there might be some anarchs marauding. We've heard tale. Well, your event uh, just doesn't really have the oomph it had six weeks ago, so we're going to have to cancel that. I'm the arbitrator. I don't want the Field Museum to be damaged. I'm sorry. This just won't go through. You just don't have enough standing in the city. Right. Because the Anarch is a... Uh, one of the Anarchs is, is your chilled. <laughs> you know, what, whatever. you Insert here that the Keeper of Elysium has the final say on what happens on Elysium. Well, true. You would never tell the Prince that. Ever. Right. I mean, that's, that's the important thing. Uh, but you would absolutely tell anybody else who wants to schedule an event there. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. That's, that's and that's the, that's the distinction. If the, if, the, if, the, if the prince is, I'm going to be here, well, you better get keeping. Right. You better, you better do something. Right. Now, it's an important thing Nate points out, though. It's not only for the prince to decide to have an event. That's anybody. Right. You approach the keeper, have the standing. Harpy doesn't have a problem with you. And you don't have to check with the harpy. Just the harpy will probably yeah. tell you to fuck off before. It... Uh, yeah. I'd love to have an art show next Thursday. How is the Field Museum? Or whatever you know sure. insert insert location here in good standing will the harpy will let the prince know let the seneschal know at least that's that's great for you because right. they show up to your event but if nobody shows up to your event but the keeper and <laughs> and and the keeper right. at that point is is just literally smeared because your event sucked right welcome to death socially now right. who's going to show up right. to your event and that's going forward right and you gave the harpy ammo what was so horrible at your event that nobody showed up to it what happened? Right. Well, who would go to that event on behalf of the Harpy? Let them know. Right. Lesser Harpy. Yeah. Now, it's something that's mentioned off cuff. You'll find it in various places. But like I said, I want to get this done in one shot uh, because a Lesser Harpy does exactly what you think it is. They're the eyes and ears of the Harpy. I don't want to get into it. It's, right. it's, it's I mean, don't want to get into it because that's the truth what they do. Right. It's my little agents. They're the people that go talk to the nobodies. Nobody knows about them. Guess who gets to have that conversation? Lesser Harpy. And if they're important, they go to the Harpy. It's that simple. Lesser Harpy doesn't like you. We don't need to go to the Harpy. I know how that's handled right now. And you will, good luck getting anywhere if even remaining in the city. And there's a number of different names that uh, different chronicles will use, but for all intents and purposes, we'll consider it Lesser Harpy. Right. uh, For the, for the particulars of this podcast. Moving right along. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, moving, moving right along, we have the Sheriff. Yep. Now, we told you all the intrigue half. Here's where intrigue stops. (laughs) it stops i'm tired of seeing games are over of of people thinking the sheriff is some sort of intrigue juggernaut 
who has plans within plans for everyone. Nope. <laughs> nope. I'm the prince. I sit back and I have two choices. I could have the intrigue monger Nosferatu to my left, who seems to have his hands in every little, I can't trust him. Right. But, ooh, he's good at figuring out things. Yep. Or I could take the gangrel, who has problems not murdering people he feeds from. However, every time he does, he cleans up his mess. He notifies me immediately, tells me where it's going to be. And most importantly, he fucking killed the lupine who tried to ambush me in the, in the city streets. Right. Well, I know who my sheriff is. Everyone's going to know, oh, he broke the masquerade fighting that lupine. And I'm the prince at the city meeting who's going to go, well, I was thinking. I could kill him. Sure could. He broke the masquerade, didn't he? And the, and the gang girl's just kind of, man, I'm going to die. God, you know, but my humanity where it's at, ah, no, 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 not I. I see great things in you. You were given the wrong task. They give you a chance to grow. Let's focus your energies. Let's let's give you something of worth. Why don't you be the sheriff? What? Well, if I give you the ability to see all that stuff coming, could you stop it? Of course I could. So if that lupine would have gotten past the previous sheriff who I've staked on the stage right now, <laughs> right? The Nosferatu chilled from the Nosferatu intrigue guy. See how that works? It's, I want the sheriff that's going to bring fear. Right. You hear their name, you're already shitting Tiffany Cufflinks. You don't want to sit down and talk to this guy. You don't, because you know if the sheriff's there, the prince knows. Right. And he is the prince's martial arm. Now, his sole purpose is not to come around and stake people. That's what deputies are for. His sole purpose is when he shows up to investigate, figure out the how bad this is, just how deep does it go, who else came with it. He figures out the plots that are threats to the prince's rule and regime, thus a threat to the city. You know, there's, a, there's an old phrase that as the prince, so is the city. That's where the sheriff comes in, and that's their sole focus. Everyone in the hierarchy knows it, which is why often I separate intrigue. The book doesn't do this. I separate it, because I truly believe if the sheriff's the MacGuffin who can say, fuck, you're standing, I'm staking you and dragging you to the prince, and the prince most often, nine times out of ten, is going to side with their sheriff because I empowered them to do that, but he better have a damn good reason as to why he did it. Odds are he can bullshit a damn good reason right. why he staked the harpy who snubbed him. Right. You know, it's going to happen. So that's that. But I mentioned who the bullymen, right? The deputies. Right. The deputies are the guys you never, ever, ever want to run across. Not because of fear alone, but because where the sheriff is fearful from what he might find out, what he might implicate, what he might be cleaning up and blaming on you or bringing you in front of the prince or what have you. To, to achieve that right of destruction, the deputies are the ones who are to come up and kick your ass just because. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because they only have to justify to the sheriff why they did what they did. Right. New guy in town? Right. What's his clan? Oh, he's his niece. We beat his ass. I mean, this conversation should stop there. Right, it should. And or you have a different conversation. Well, it's a good thing you staked him and brought him to me. <laughs> right. But the, the sheriff's going to go, you have other people with him? Oh, no, we killed them. <laughs> oh they were mortals yeah all right he's probably independent then or an infiltrator yeah yeah we didn't think that far that's you're the boss man you want to run through the paces yeah get the hot pokers get the room running out <laughs> right. he's gonna tell us fucking everything right that's a good sheriff and a deputy team right that's a simple one you can be as elegant with it as you want to you know put them in suits and top secret words right. that's their function though. i mean there's a hundred different ways to be fearful a hundred you know and and Choose your own poison. Pick your poison on that. And where the stone rolls downhill to the final position, which is often separate from that, is that of the Scourge, the Border Hunter. Um, I say Border Hunter because he's the one that if you're independent and you're kicking rocks or Autarkus right. or 
even an anarch who hasn't gone to Elysium to present yourself as an anarch to the city, you're on the menu. Right. Now, the way that they present the Scourge in this book is very similar to the way they present them in the book we reviewed previously. They talk about this individual is the hunter of the thin-blooded, the 14th and 15th generations. Well, yeah, for sure. Yep. You know, as you're going through this revised tale, and we're bringing you into the modern nights, and we're approaching Gehenna, the title of Scourge becomes needed again. But it's not just needed for that. Right. So if you're not doing Gehenna plot, you're not doing 14th and 15th generation, you're not doing the time of thin blood, and you just want somebody who's there to handle the dregs in your domain, the 13th generations, the Anarchs, those that refuse to pay heed to the prince's will, well, you might have to send a Scourge. And he might thrust a stake into one of their hearts and drag them to court. Or, shit, they might just uh, not make it that far. And the Scourge's most important job, or why you would have one, is because your city is overpopulated. Right. With kindred. They're there to keep the population down. Hence the point of acknowledgement. Why? All flows back to the masquerade. Yeah, absolutely. An overpopulated city that can't feed its vampires is going to have a massive problem on its hands in short order. It's the prince's job to manage that. And take care of it. He does that. One of the fail fail safes is that of the scourge. Right. Absolutely. And uh, that pretty much wraps up the the first part of this book where they talk about the the different uh, positions within the Camarilla, and then it moves into the clans. Now, of course, this is going to be a much more detailed perspective of the clans within the Camarilla. The one thing that is of note that needs to be noted here is that due to the events, time of thin blood and some more stuff that's going to get mentioned in later books. Now the Camarilla consists of six clans. The Gangrel have removed themselves from the Camarilla for whatever reason. Um, so that's something interesting to note, and it is specific to this timeline, right? Um, and then you can go through here. I don't, I don't think we need to go into all of these different concepts, but they bring, uh, they bring in the concept of clan prestige. They... they Talk about the strengths and influence, the organizations of the different sects and or different clans, I'm sorry. And then uh, they talk about the Gangrel, of course, those that left and all of the independents and how they might fit in within the Camarilla. And all of this bears reading because this is this is very up to date for this setting. And this is the, the sort of changing perspective or a more refined perspective on where these clans fit in. Um, and then uh, we get a cool little clan page for the Caitiff. And boy, do they look generic. And we also get, uh, you know, the two-page spread for Gargoyles. That's kind of like a new thing. And the Lissambra Anti-Tribute. Um, those independent from the Sabbat. So, uh, just one thing I want to touch on. It's like, uh, why did the Gangrel leave? We mentioned it before, we'll keep it brief. Yeah. Because I believe we mentioned Week of Nightmares, Time of Thin Blood. Right. I mentioned the novel that has in where right. they left. Well, they also talk about it in, I believe, New York by New York City by night, New York by night. They talk about uh, Xavier's little, departure. Right. right. Yeah, stuff. they they get in, in a later book they'll get into more detail about it. But it's worth noting here that they they literally up and left. And in uh and what does that mean? How does one leave the Camarilla intact? Well, you just leave. Right. Um they their inner council representative took a hike. Actually, I won't even say that. Their Justicar took a hike. Right. Justicar Xavier left, and in an exodus. They right. had an all thing. Gangrel met. Something horrible happened to those gathered, and they got out and spread the word, and, a, and the Gangrel stopped supporting the Camarilla, except for those most high. 
Right. You still have a Karsh. Yeah. <laughs> you still have, an, assumably, an inter- inter-council rep. Well, and, th- and that's the thing. Just because the clan left doesn't mean those with influence and standing within the Camarilla left. And obviously right. you have individuals that can make their own decisions. So there are Gangrel, but they're essentially, they're not viewed with the same... They're called independents right, right, at that point. Right, right, right. It's that simple. Right. I, I have chosen to retain my standing within the Camarilla. I fully support it. However, my clan and thus my representation have gone with it. So have I lost out? Sure. But for me... It was just a better decision. I'll stay. Right. You know, or uh, we weren't really doing much anyways. Peace the fuck out. <laughs> right. Vio Gandios. That's a uh, beat feet and wipe them. You know right. what I mean? That's it. And there's no more, no more or less with that. Uh, dramatics aside, politically, what does it mean? Uh, well, it means if you're sitting as Primogen and you're a gangrel, I guess if you're a Primogen because of you, you still are. <laughs> right. Fundamentally, it doesn't change anything right. for you. However, you lost a Justicar. Right. This does mean an, a new door, a new avenue to get punched from is opened. Right. I can make you the whipping boy. A lot of princes do. A lot of people in the city then turn in the gangrel, as the camera often does when you're the odd man out, and they get to blame a lot of stuff on you or implicate or say you're up to something because you can't be trusted because you're just a car left and all this other stuff. Whole level of, it, it's a twisted thing that occurs to them or you keep it as is. Subject to each individual story. Right. Now- they do mention caitiff yep caitiff from the camarilla they're yeah, allowed absolutely all are welcome within the umbrella of protection of the camarilla they're just never going to amount to anything right you're not right? shit unless it's uh you know some random prince in caitiff a, prince in australia yeah, yeah. you know that's a it just depends right yeah, no absolutely prince. yeah uh, you know wherever <laughs> right yeah so typically speaking those with those that are caitiff are, are looked upon with disgust because they don't know where they come from or they're thin-blooded. And typically, they don't amount to much more than a glorified, like an under-glorified bruja. Let's open the doors for this a bit, though, too. Mm-hmm. The reason why Kate for mentioning here even, if at all, is for the simple fact that if you choose as a player, and this often is the case, I'm a Kate if I don't know who my sire is, so I get all these abilities. Well, that's one way to look at it. I, the storyteller, I'm writing down who your clan is. Right. Sorry, you're part of a clan. You're you, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right now, magically somehow this means you will create know your other whatever in time, or you can make a normal fucking caitiff, which is somebody who does, isn't aware, but you have a weakness. Maybe it's not so easily or readily open. Maybe you don't you don't show it because you are thin blooded, mm-hmm. and it's a little different for you. It makes it broader for the caitiff in and of itself. But this is why also the caitiff aren't liked. Right. Because Kedif represent that the young are breeding too too much. Right. Just too much. You're basically making, like, the fell on hard times character. Like, right. you know, they talk about here how the Kedif have a knack for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're like, not only do you sit in the position of being in the dregs of society when it comes to the Camarilla, but also, like, life is just tough. Some asshole embraced you. You've had to figure it all out for yourself. You've got nothing going for you. You're not going to find friends. And if you do, they're probably going to be other caitiff. And that's that's John Caitiff Sr. And what, what's he been doing? The other night, some dude kicked in the door all dark and scary-eyed and killed like your buddy and beat the shit out of you and told you run better next time. And, and I have no idea why. I don't know what that's about. And how do I run better? I, I have like maybe 50 bucks in my bank account in my old Chrysler. I don't right. have nothing. It's more difficult for them to interact with non-cative vampires 
It's more difficult for them to learn disciplines. It's rough. And this is done on purpose because every caitiff is a potential cat's paw is the point. Like a good, good vampire in a Camarilla, this is how you would, I would treat them like coin. I find a good caitiff, if they're useful, I may no longer call them a caitiff. I may right. let everybody know that he's a long lost member of so-and-so and take him under my wing and therefore he has the backing of a whole clan. And sometimes that's a reward. Sometimes it's a curse. You're an incompetent caitiff, but I know who would hate you. Right, right. Uh, I need to tell the prince and spend a favor and a few boons to tell the prince, oh, this is the Tremere that ran away. Oh, he knows Thom. And the KF's like, wait a minute, I taught you, but he can't speak because I dominated him. <laughs> right. Right? And that's and that's him like, yeah, there he is, right, right. there. And the Tremere are like, wait a minute. Right. Uh, so, KF being what they are, uh, it sucks playing them. Right. Um, and it should be hard. They're hard and they're challenging, but it can be a ton of fun. Um, of course, we have the gang, uh, the gang rel. The gargoyles. Maybe that was a Freudian <laughs> slip. Um, we have the gargoyles. Um, we have those that are, I, I guess, free gargoyles. Right. They no longer have to be under the Tremere. Right. Right. Uh, they still tend to fall under that umbrella. Maybe they don't. It depends on your game. Um, but, you know, read them through. They're gargoyles. They're rock monsters. Uh, have wings and they fly. Rock monster. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, the Lasombra anti tribute. It's cool that they have like their own little breakdown. Um, but uh, we'll leave that for you to read. They're very rare. There's very few of them. We did Lasombra clan book. They're few. They're running around. Right. They're looking for solace. They're looking for a place to be. Camera will accept you, Nate. All as long as you accept them. Right. In their rule. Right. Um, and of course. In the future, we're going to do the revised Lysambra clan book, so we'll talk more about them, probably more detail than this book gives Los at a later Sombra time. Uh, next, we have character creation. I don't see this as being any different than... And not even needed. Right. It's totally not needed. However, there are some cool secondary abilities. That's always awesome. Check those out. There is a whole bunch of them. And then we have some additional merits and flaws, which are unique to the Camarilla and not in the revised uh base book these are awesome a lot yeah. of those are good definitely a lot of them are very cool and very uh specifically targeted towards a camarilla as it should be so this is all your additional stuff and then of course we have the disciplines and we're not going to go into that no. these are all elder level disciplines or um disciplines that don't exist in the base book um of course you know read them at your leisure use them for your npcs hey run an elder game you know, <laughs> do that too. That's hey always guys, an option. Be elders, right? Elder stuff. And then we get deep into the the tactics. We get all the stuff that we talked about earlier. We get deep into how this game is played. And I don't mean Vampire the Masquerade, but the Camarilla. How is the Camarilla game played? How is the the presentation, prestation, court, the right of destruction? All of those things. That that's all here. And this is awesome. This is, I mean, I don't know how much time we're going to spend on it because this is really something you want to read aside from what we've talked about, but this is going to give you all of those concepts that we've discussed in a greater range of detail than what we've given. How to base, what, what is an appropriate sentence for what act? Right. You know, what, uh, you know, is final death okay because you accidentally snubbed the elder? And real quick, let's talk about that. I think that's important. What are the stresses of a prince in the Camarilla? Like, what, when is a prince 
need to go. Right. It's the same like as a concept of, as of like a president, right? Yep. Where are you overstepping your bounds? How much is rule and what is oppression? So it comes down to the tyrannical rule and the might to do it. If you're a tyrant and you can hold it down, I guess nobody has fuck all to say to you about it. Right? They can't do anything right. about it. But when does do the permission go, all right, we're abusing and we need to notify an archon? Because that's who you notify to get a Jessicar to know what's going on. Right. Well, if you're a prince who every time someone opens their mouth against you in court that has standing to do so, you're like, blood hunt, that dude. Right. Well, we got to kill him. I invoke right of destruction. Okay, well, I mean, he... What's his crime? How dare he kill my ghoul? And then the prince shoots his own ghoul? <laughs> he made me do that. Right. <laughs> really? Yes, you saw it. And the sheriff, yeah. He urged me towards that act. Well, all right, but... Um... You said so. Whoa. I mean, I guess if that guy's really got to die, but then next week when he's like, see the scuff mark on my shoe? I got a perfect example. Mm -hmm. If Caligula got embraced. <laughs> if Emperor Caligula got embraced off the bat, we got to kill him. Right. Like, that dude's got to go before he gets some blood orgies in him. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had the horse senate already. Let's, right. just, let's just, like, stop that shit. And that's, and that's the point, right? When do you see a tyrant to depose of him? Yes, a prince can be removed by a Jessicar if he can prove that what not even if you can prove the Jessica just has to find that even past edicts right were way off the mark from the prince's sole job of just keeping the camera's laws there right, right his his activities are now endangering the masquerade and they're endangering the masquerade so much we have to eliminate him and a fun book to read that in sla their yeah. first prince no, was a yeah, jag absolutely. off who had to go had to go and it, it was going to happen However, what about the other half? How do I, I'm a prince, damn. And I'm in a LARP or even in a tabletop. I'm a prince and I got all these, because uh, every ruler does. I have these skeletons and these things I like to do when no one's looking. And I really hate certain people, but I can't be caught abusing my authority. But is it abusive if I get my sheriff to do it for me? <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not at all. In fact, that's a common tactic, which right. is why a lot of people don't trust the sheriff. Right. You know, what are you here for? Is it for something I did or right. did the prince put you up to There's it? an individual in the city who they're speaking in a way that is, I feel, a challenge to my rule. And honestly, I just don't have the patience to tolerate them being around. However, they've been able to maintain all of the traditions and I have no real reason to just invoke right of destruction or to exile them or to blood hunt them. But I do have those that I can manipulate into manipulating that person into fucking up beautiful speech boss so we're gonna go kick his ass right okay right. got it right <laughs> that's it him the sheriff and the deputies are gonna go make that guy's life miserable in some circles we call those trumped up charges exactly trumped up charges i'm not even gonna stake you i'm just gonna kick your ass and I'm, my goal as a sheriff is to get you to break one of the traditions right to allow the prince to then execute you right that's my goal going forward because the prince just told me, you don't get a pass ever. Right. Or, or maybe I don't even want to kill you. Because honestly, I am a little bored and I do like your presence a little bit. So that trumped up charge I just made, well, maybe I'll just kill your retainer. <laughs> I'll just take that retainer from you. Now it's my retainer. Well, well, you're probably very upset about that, aren't you? Well, go on. Go to the city. Do something. <laughs> make, my, make my life a little bit more joyful so that I can then press the issue further are there rewards in the camarilla of course there are you're goddamn right there are if i'm the prince i may grant you the right to embrace 
Right. I may give you uh, shit. I may give you domain over a certain area. Snap. A boost in standing just because Nate is my cherished individual um, when it comes to the fine arts. I want to keep him in good standing and always pay attention when he chooses to do something, as I say publicly in front of everyone in the right. city at court. Right. So now the prince has literally just said, I love Nate. He's great. And everybody's like, shit, that's a guy to watch. I better keep up with him. Right. There's all sorts of rewards. Right. Um, however, rewards are taken quickly. Yeah, Nate was in. However, Nate goes on to say, you're damn right. You're damn right. Marshmallow fluff looks good all over the prince's new Lamborghini. <laughs> Marshmallow fluff That's what I make. Yeah, prince. Awesome. Your face is all over it. And then the prince turns around to the harpy. Oh, who did that to my car? And the harpy goes, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Strangely, couldn't possibly be that Nate you just said was awesome. No, I, I because have... his twin, maybe. I don't know. Who is that guy again? I don't fucking know. And then turn around and tell everybody that you were vandalized by an anarch. It couldn't have been Nate. But where does Nate go? Well, I'm the Back prince. To the fucking kiddie pool. I'm the prince, and I don't make mistakes. So uh, the sheriff or probably the deputies are going to beat the shit out of him. Right. Make sure he doesn't ever get into Elysium. Man, you know, Nate, I noticed last week at court you had a severely shattered nose on your <laughs> face. That's interesting. I wonder why that happened. I don't know. I fell. I was clumsy sometimes. I, I now got to say nothing, right? <laughs> I now got to just take my right. lumps because I got to climb that rung again. Right. And this is how the Camarilla games are played. If you're listening right now going, this draconian, man, this organization sucks. It's complicated, it's convoluted, there's a lot of restriction, but the rewards seem cool, but a little over the top, and they can be taken away like that. Yeah, you're in America, it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, one thing that they do touch in this chapter as well, <laughs> I'm just going to let that simmer. Yep. One thing they do touch on uh, in this chapter as well is the conclave, for when shit just can't be contained by a city. I actually got segued, but we were building to that. It was my comment about the <laughs> prince messing up. So I'm a Jessicar. Yeah. And I come in and I go, there's some founding here. Right. Prince 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 Bob Caligula Nate is definitely doing something crazy. Right. Um, the marshmallow fluff thing, that's a sign of him going insane. Then there's that kid he had beat up for no reason. Who was that again? Harpy doesn't know. No. And some then Steve dude. Right. Steve, Nate, you know. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know who that was. Uh, but our cons are going around and talking to the primogen and everyone else, and they're coming out the woodwork. You know, they're Weinsteining this. They're definitely showing that there are more and more people who had some shit done to them. Well, we better make this a judicial conclave. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask. Because there are various types of conclaves, right? Yep. The, the one you don't want is the judicial conclave. And that's where, like, there's no bones about it. <laughs> the, this is strictly business. We are here because something has exceeded the capability of the city to deal with. I need to deal with it as the Justicar. I need to come in and lay the fucking law down. And everybody better hide their skeletons and quick. And not to confuse you, most conclaves you run to a convention are not judicial. No, right. A conclave gets called a convention. That's when like two or more Justicars have decided that they're going to have a meeting about a policy. Right. You yeah. know, some big change in there. And that too, I've heard people try to say it's judicial. Eh, not quite. No, judicial quite. is like laws, and like, like their punishment needs to be handed down. Right. The Justicar has done their investigation and they're coming in to make changes. They're bringing the hammer. A, 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 a Camarilla, a, like a normal conclave, that's kind of like when the Olympics is like, hey, we're going to host the Olympic Games and your cities are like, ooh, ooh me, ooh, ooh me. It's a fantastic analogy, right. actually. Because I, I want to have those elders. Like a conclave is something that should attract your kindred from 
all over the country, all over the world. But if you're the prince of that city, fuck no! Right. Not like, my city. Like Not I, my city. Yeah, me, me, me. But no, 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 not me. Like, yes, I want it, but I don't. Because, oh, everyone else probably. Right, right. They get to rub elbows and cultivate fear, and the prince is sitting there going, ah, oh, man. Yeah, my masquerade's already strained. He has to go dig up the bodies that he already buried once, because not right. only is one Jessica going to be here, he's publicly here. Which right. means everyone's coming out. And all of his archons are going to be here, and every elder who wants a piece of what I have. I already got the email from my sire that they'll be here tomorrow night. Right. And I haven't had time to clean. This is great. This right. is really great. So it sucks, but it's also a huge event. And when you go to a convention, when you go to a game, a large LARP, in most circumstances, you're going to be experiencing that. Yep. Um, depending on who's running it, obviously, but that's it's a reason to have 100 vampires in the same room. Now, why a conclave? That's probably more important than knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, where did it come from? Where did the concept come from? Well, a simple situation, when a prince holds court, it is to do an edict. It is to discuss a situation, a problem, or an announcement of a type. And not just the prince can call it. The prince may be there, but Seneschal, usually, right. if it's going to be a policy-related thing, is going to tell you how it is. And hear people out and whatever, and the prince can leave whenever he gets bored. Or the prince is actually executing his right to, to, to destruction. A blood hunt must be called. He will fulfill that. He is granting someone rights to embrace. He will fulfill that. You know, things he has to do and not. Same, too, is a Jessicar. A Jessicar just doesn't come in in a private room, takes the offender, lops his head off, and leaves, and everybody wonders what happens to him. It's a deterrent as much right. as it is a necessity. So if I'm a Jessicar and I come in and a Diabolos is discovered, this is front and center. I, I almost, I make sure even Tel Aviv is getting this televised from where we're at, this stuff is like free cable right? Uh, for, for Kindred. You know, we make sure all the vampire hackers have this up on their net to make it go down. And a digital Dracula, that is, and V20. But uh, the point is, once it's front and center, I come out and we grandstand the most fearful entities to maintain the Justicar's fear anyway and power possible, which means the judicial conclave, damn right I'm bringing another Justicar. Yeah. Maybe even a third. Like, you know, as many as has time to come that are close, to get there with Archons as bully boy and terrifying as right. possible. Goal? We're going to take this Diabolus and we're going to figure out a creative way to make them suffer in front of everybody. For everyone to see. Um, one of my favorite, which I believe they did in the book, was where they dr drilled a single hole into a box and they had uh, pre-fed maggots that were addicted to Gould Vite. And what they did was they just dump a shit ton of these maggots in, in with, the, with the kindreds naked. They dump all these maggots into the freaking coffin in that hole, and they wait. <laughs> they just wait. Um, why are the maggots digging into the flesh? Wouldn't they avoid the vampire? No, because what we're doing is we occasionally come through and stab them. Right. right? Yeah. We make wounds that the vampire can possibly heal. By the way, they're not in there on full blood. Right. They're in there near frenzied, but the ghoul's not, the, the maggots not enough to get their interest. Right. And they're going to howl, and they're going to scream, and the maggots are going to burrow, and they're going to eat the dead flesh. And as they atrophy, they're going to eat more of their flesh, and, you know, until eventually they would go to torpor, except we put that hole in it, didn't we? Right. The hole's there for one reason. When the screaming stops, we have a ghoul put them in the sun. <laughs> but only for the hole. Right. Right? And that hole conveniently will go, like, right over a leg. Right. We'll saw them off in sections, whatever it takes. Basically, we make a horrific example of how you're going to die being fed upon because you diabolize others. Right. Crime and punishment, baby. Yep, Crime they're gonna and punishment. Match. They're going to match. And then I challenge any other diabolists to do the same. Right. And and uh, this this book goes into great detail on pretty much like all the stuff that we've scratched the surface of. Like 
we're going to get into the red list. We're going to get into what that means. What, uh, you know, what's a red list? What, right. what is that? Like, you know, well, we've, we've talked about if you go into the Wayback Machine, um, I believe we talked about uh, the Kindred's Most Wanted. We did. And we talked about the red list there. And, and so this is a continuation of that. This gives you more information. Because I didn't really give you a lot of information, right? It just told you about the people who were on it and the people who hunt them. This gives you more information. This gives you, you know, what are the tactics? What, you the know. The tools. Like, for instance, every Elysium has, has apparently an accessible, somehow, layout of the red list itself. Kindred's Most Wanted is on there so mm-hmm. that everyone's informed everywhere they go of what's going on. Right. Who would make sure that list is available in a capacity? Keeper. Right? Right. Makes sense. Stands to reason. You know, things like that. Right. The tactics that a Justicar might use. Right. What what are the what are the rewards of killing someone on the red list? What do the Alistairs use as their tools? What and there are books that will get even more into detail on this later on, but this gives you much more detail than you've had access to previously. And then they talk about the Camarilla being at war. Like the Camarilla is at war against the Sabbat. They're at war against the lupines are at war against the anarch sometimes. Well, we use war as your term. We're not at war. Right. They, 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 those sects are at war. We're just right. pushing them away. Right. We're repelling them from cities that they don't belong in. Just, just calm down, Sabat. Calm down. Right. Just join in. So they talk about stuff like that. They talk about prestation. And this is a, a really important detail that a lot of players are unsure about. They're not sure what does status mean? What? How is that? How does that translate into a game term? How does that translate into a role play term? What are boons? How do I get them? How do I trade them? Really? Quick. Status is defined in the background section, period. It's it's the level you've achieved socially in a city. Right. And there is a mechanic form and all that. Lovely. However, boons are a factor. Boons are the favors you are owed by key members of the city that have to pay you back in some capacity based on the level of the boon. And when we talk about boons, what are they? We have trivial boons, right? We have minor boons. We have major boons. We have the life boon. Right. Right? So it's a trivial boon, just as it sounds. I, uh, I helped the harpy one last minute with a piece of jewelry that she needed that one of my retainers had that would look better on her. And I, at the last minute, she calls me. I say, sure, I'll bring it. And it's a trivial thing. Here you go. I get it back at the end of the show. I just can't mention that it's originally mine. Right. Fair. Later on, show me no big deal. Um, minor boon. That same harpy, yes, we use the whatever, but maybe I finagled a minor boon out of the secret. I won't tell anyone, but you owe me a little bit more. Okay. Right. What's a major boon? Well, the harpy that night ended up killing someone, my retainer, because the, my retainer, who I didn't tell I was taking the jewelry from, sees her with it and, and kind of wigged out on the harpy. The harpy frenzied. Wow. Mistakes happen. That person's dead. Ah, well, it's a retainer. You right. know, I needed her for something. I, I worked a great deal of time and effort to cultivate that individual. I, I cared about them insofar as you would care for an object. Right. So it's the, there you go. That's a, right. It's I, I, I feel that I have considerable loss here. It will take me much time to reacquire someone as good as that. It's a major boon owed by a standing member of the city. Great. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. No problem. Harpy's a good one to know because she's the one to say that a boon's are own or not. Uh, how do we get into a life boon? Very simple. 
the harpy's getting her ass beat in that encounter. Right. And my retainer's going to freaking go to town and rip her head off. Why? Because, you know, not every vampire is made the same. And apparently my retainer's no one thing potent. And daddy's mad to see somebody else wearing his family jewels. And uh, although I'm not mad, retainer didn't know. And I come through and have to shoot my own retainer in the head to calm him down. Or calm her down. Just the only way it was resolved. Right. I can get into semantics or the harpy can go, I know. And that's that. Right. And, you know, that's, I mean, there's nothing else needing to right, go into explanation. Right. I saved your life. Your life hung in the balance of what I've done for you. Now, here's how boons are used. Anything less than the boon that was given to me by that person is not payment of the boon. Right. But I can ask that person to do whatever. So you want someone to owe you a life boon. Because they can do major boons till the cows come home. And until I feel that that life boon is fulfilled, or is the equivalent of, it's not paid. The only person I could possibly complain to as the ower um, is, is the harpy. Mm -hmm. And say, I've done this and that and the other thing. The harpy might be able to go, well, the harpy can, would decide, yeah, yeah or nay. Right. What stops the harpy from screwing me? Hopefully I'm in good standing with the harpy. Right. The harpy likes the cut of my jib. Right. Maybe I argued well. Right. Maybe the person I owe the boon to is a dick or at odds with the harpy. Right. Whatever. Or it could be that I have presented sufficient evidence. I have graphs. I have worksheets. I've laid it out. Here's the math. And the harpy goes, well, unfortunately, the elder doesn't seem to think. Or the harpy's like, yeah, I don't care. Right. And it's as simple as that. It's the right of their because they have the prestation. Right. They're the ones in charge of the prestation. Right. right. Now, what's important is Crimson Council gave the harpy the ability to have that. Remember back to that example. That's what we're saying, that they gave the head nod. They gave their standing to say the harpy's golden. Mm -hmm. And so that harpy can determine those boons right. and has the ability to be judge of those. That said, that's all prestation is. It's the system agreed upon by the Camarilla elders that we will obey in terms of who owes whom. Right. That's prestation. Standing is to that of titles held by the hierarchy and the individuals who are noted by the hierarchy as being those of note, movers and shakers. All of that right. is prestation. Now, um, this is a very, uh, a very important section. You're going to want to read through it, understand it, because I think anybody that's played this game, that's read through the core rule book, even if you've read this before, reread it because you want to get a really good understanding of what this is because it's super important to the setting. And then we move on to the next chapter, which is building your setting. Uh, this is great for new storytellers, people looking to go, well, I want to build my own world. What can I do? Man, I really could use a Malkavian primogen. Well, here you go. He's in your book. <laughs> He's, here's, all, here's all the tools that you can use to help build the framework of your city, of your world, right? Awesome. We won't go into that because, I, like me personally, I feel like you're a storyteller. Build your world. If you want to use this yep. as a guide to help you, use it as a guide. It's great. It's great for people who don't know where to start. And then I think the last chapter here is storytelling. Um, basically, this also gives you, as a storyteller, a great, like all the things we've been talking about in this almost two-hour-long podcast. Yep. Themes, right. why to play, who to play, right. story over arcs, what works, what doesn't work. Right. So back to the question, the way back at the beginning, to make sure you're not running a Cthulhu game, if it's a Camarilla game be sure it fits in one of the themes that they recommend. Right. If you're going to run a Cthulhu vampire game, awesome. Let your players know that in advance. Like, hey, it's going to be Cthulhu. 
but we're going to use vampire. Don't have me build a venture power broker when I need to be a Tremere cultist. Right, absolutely. Um, and uh, all the things that we've talked about in this podcast and 40-some before it, it's all this stuff. And then, uh, of course, you have at the end some more information allies enemies who's the anarchs what's in the sabbat who are these folks i'm gonna cheat and let you know in here that's the templates mm -hmm. right this is where you're gonna get i'm gonna build a raw city well what's the power level thank god they already have pre-built right absolutely right? um i can't tell you how many times i've used pre-built i really can't um i don't really care about the stats that much about stuff like i'll hear players say well there's better be there's bound to be an npc database that's every npc that you've ever had this encounter ever yeah that's called the world right <laughs> yeah i don't know what you think we are uh but uh we are not a computer right and more importantly we no one has that kind of time right absolutely so key figures yes those have stats and what have you as for the others no because it's about the story right now we have these handy dandy guides though definitely in a pinch if it looks like it's going to become absolutely that, we know what to pull to look at to but see. i don't man I, like i like the concept of a werewolf as an antagonist right i yep. like that concept but i don't want to go out and buy this 30 dollar book and go do i need to know all that well it would help but if you don't you have something in here to guide you to at least present it in a realistic within genre way yep. right same thing with the anarchs the sabbat like all of those things. And you're, you can go out and buy all these guides. You can. But they're giving you just some easy tools to use so you don't necessarily have to. And I'm going to tell you what White Wolf told me. Sell it. Sell it. Sell it. Like you owed it. Like you every delicious hour you spent in cultivating every filled in dot. Every, every piece of text you put down for the stat of your character. Oh, the ink that was used in the font and style. Own every bit of it. Own every bit of it. Because let me tell you, at the end of the day, no one cares about the stats that cared about your story. Right, absolutely. And you did make the story. And so if you did make the story for your character, that's what matters. But if you still like to do a ground-based up and all that work, feel free to do it. I'm sure you'll feel it pays off in the end. Um, good. Yeah. So all of those tools, those we didn't talk about a lot in the last three chapters of the book. That's because you as a storyteller, you as a player, more, more so a storyteller, you should be reading those things for yourself and understanding them for yourself, what we've just been sort of like chit-chatting about, right? Those are your tools. They did, they did a great service, I think, putting that stuff in there, and don't skip it. This book is, an, is a must-own. Right. The, the, this, if you are playing this game and you want to take your gaming to the next level, regardless of what version of this game you're playing, if you're playing Second Ed, if you're playing Revised, if you're playing V20, this book is going to give you more information about the Camarilla than pretty much any book out there. This is a must-own book. This, the Sabat Guide, and whatever Anarch Guide. Uh, there's a bunch of different Anarch Guides. I Like me personally, I want to read them all. But this, the Camarilla Guide, this book, is a must-have. The Sabat Guide is a must-have. And I believe that's what we're reviewing next week. But if you're going to have the base book, Get the cam guide to go with it. That's my opinion. Out of any book we've reviewed so far, this is super integral to your game. It is. It is. Um, for everything we already talked about. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, I think we've beaten it quite to death. Um, you know, if you have any questions about the Camarilla, if you have any questions about the guide and our review, definitely shoot us an email. Um, shoot us a message. Check us out on Discord. Any of those places. We'll be happy to answer your questions as they come in. Uh, let me double check for next week's podcast to get you all 
super excited. Uh, Chaos Factor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Oh. Our our next book is, of course, Guide to the Sabbat. So this is going to, we, we've already reviewed one Sabbat guide. And I'm teasing the Chaos Factor. We've had some people who've asked about it a couple times. Can't wait for the view. We can't either. We're just not there yet. Yeah, no. We're we're uh, we're gonna get through, and um, at some point, you may have noticed we skipped over the Transylvania Chronicles three. If you're following along like a crazy person, um, but that's because we're gonna do the entire Transylvania Chronicles as one, because it's half Dark Ages, half modern. We're just gonna do it as one or two long form podcasts. Um, but now is not the time, right? Uh, I think once we get into Dark Ages, we're going to start and just do the whole Transylvania Chronicles up to modern day. And uh, we don't know what that's going to look like because we don't know how long that's going to take. So um, not important now. Stick with us. You'll see more podcasts next week. Guide to the Sabbat. Also a great, super important book to have. Go out and buy it right now because you need it for your game. Read the review or listen to the review next week and find out why. Alrighty. Well, uh, with that, thank you for listening. We really appreciate your support. Keep it coming. And until next week, I am Nate. And I am Bob. Beyond the-